0: Of A Journey to the Centre of the Earth by
1: Jules Verne. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 23 Alone It must in all truth be confessed, things as yet had gone on well, and I should have
0: acted in bad taste to have complained. If the true medium of our difficulties did not increase, it was within the range of possibility that we might ultimately reach the end of our journey. Then what glory would be ours? I began in the newly aroused ardour of my soul to speak enthusiastically to the professor. Well, was I serious? The whole state in which we existed was a mystery, and it was impossible to know whether or not I was in earnest. For several days after our memorable halt, the slopes became more rapid. Some were even of a most frightful character, almost vertical, so that we were forever going down into the solid interior mass. During some days, we actually descended a league and a half, even two leagues towards the centre of the earth. The descents were sufficiently perilous and while we were engaged in them, we learned fully to appreciate the marvellous coolness of our guide, Hans. Without him we should have been wholly lost. The grave and impassable Icelander devoted himself to us with the most incomprehensible sangfroid and ease, and thanks to him. Many a dangerous pass was got over, where, but for him, we should inevitably have stuck fast. His silence increased every day. I think we began to be influenced by this particular trait in his character. It is certain that the inanimate objects by which you are surrounded have a direct action on the brain. It must be that a man who shuts himself up between four walls must lose the faculty of associating ideas and words. How many persons condemned to the horrors of solitary confinement have gone mad simply because the thinking faculties have lain dormant? During the two weeks that followed our last interesting conversation, there occurred nothing worthy of being especially recorded. I have, while writing these memoirs, taxed my memory in vain for one incident of travel during this particular period, but the next event to be related is terrible indeed. Its very memory, even now, makes my soul shudder and my blood run cold. It was on the 7th of August. Our constant and successive descents had taken us quite thirty leagues into the interior of the earth. That is to say, that there were above us thirty leagues, nearly a hundred miles of rocks and ocean and continents and towns to say nothing of living inhabitants. We were in a easterly direction, about two hundred leagues from Iceland. On that memorable day, the tunnel had begun to assume an almost horizontal course. I was on this occasion... Walking on in front. My uncle had charge of one of the Rumkopf coils. I had possession of the other. By means of its light, I was busy examining the different layers of granite. I was completely absorbed in my work. Suddenly halting and turning round, I found that I was alone. Well, thought I to myself, I have certainly been walking too fast, or else Hans and my uncle have stopped to rest. The best thing I can do is to go back and find them. Luckily there is very little ascent to tire me. I accordingly retraced my steps and, while doing so, Walked for at least a quarter of an hour. Rather uneasy, I paused and looked eagerly around. Not a living soul. I called aloud. No reply. My voice was lost amid the myriad of cavernous echoes it aroused. I began for the first time to feel seriously uneasy. A cold shiver shook my whole body, and perspiration, chill and terrible, burst upon my skin. I must be calm, I said, speaking aloud, as boys whistle to drive away fear. There can be no doubt that I shall find my companions. There cannot be two roads. It is certain that I was considerably ahead. All I have to do is go back. Having come to this determination, I ascended the tunnel for at least half an hour, unable to decide if I had ever seen certain landmarks before. Every now and then, I paused to discover if any loud appeals was made to me well knowing that in that dense and intensified atmosphere I should hear it a long way off. But no, the most extraordinary silence reigned in this immense gallery. Only the echoes of my own footsteps could be heard. At last, I stopped. I could scarcely realize the fact of my isolation. I was quite willing to think that I had made a mistake, but not that I was lost. If I had made a mistake, I might find my way. If lost, I shudder to think of it. Come, come, said I to myself, since there is only one road and they must come by it. We shall at least meet. All I have to do is still to go upwards. Perhaps, however, not seeing me and forgetting I was ahead, they may have gone back in search of me. Still, even in this case, if I make haste, I shall get up to them. There can be no doubt about the matter but as I spoke these last words aloud, it would have been quite clear to any listener, had there been one, that I by no means was convinced of the fact. Moreover, in order to associate together these simple ideas and reunite them under the form of reasoning required some time. I could not all at once bring my brain to think then another dreaded doubt fell upon my soul after all was i ahead of course i was Hans was no doubt following behind preceded by my uncle i perfectly recollect his having stopped for a moment to strap his baggage on his shoulder I now remembered this trifling detail. It was, I believe, just at that very moment that I had determined to continue my route. Again, thought I, reasoning as calmly as was possible, there is another sure means of losing my way. A thread to guide me through the labyrinthian, subterraneous retreat, one which I had forgotten, my faithful river. This course of reasoning roused my drooping spirits, and I resolved to resume my journey without further delay. No time was to be lost. It was at this moment that I had reason to bless the thoughtfulness of my uncle when he refused to allow the Eder hunter to close the orifices of the hot spring, that small fissure in the great mass of granite. This beneficent spring, after having saved us from thirst during so many days, would now enable me to regain the right road. Having come to this mental decision, I made up my mind, before I started upwards, that ambulation would certainly do me a great deal of good. I stopped to plunge my hands and forehead into the pleasant water of the Hansbach stream, Blessing its presence as a certain consolation. Conceive my horror and stupefaction. I was treading a hard, dusty, shingling road of granite. The stream on
1: which I reckoned had wholly disappeared. Chapter 24 Lost No words in any human language can depict my utter despair.
0: Mechanically, I crawled about, feeling the dry and arid rock. Never to my fancy had I ever felt anything so dry. But I frantically asked myself, how had I lost the course of the flowing stream? There could be no doubt it had ceased to flow in the gallery in which I was now in. Now I began to understand the cause of the strange silence which prevailed when last I tried if any appeal from my companions might perchance reach my ear. It so happened that when I first took an imprudent step in the wrong direction, I did not perceive the absence of the all-important stream. It was now quite evident that when we halted, another tunnel must have received the waters of the little torrent and that I had unconsciously entered a different gallery. To what unknown depths had my companions gone? Where was I? how to get back. Clue or landmark, there was absolutely none. My feet left no signs on the granite and shingle. My brain throbbed with agony as I tried to discover the solution of this terrible problem. My situation, after all sophistry and reflection, had finally to be summed up in three.
1: Awful words, lost, 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 lost at a depth at which, to
0: my finite understanding, appeared to be immeasurable. These thirty leagues of crust of the earth weighed upon my shoulders like the globe on the shoulders of Atlas. I felt myself crushed by the awful weight. It was indeed a position to drive the sanest man to madness. I tried to bring my thoughts back to the things of the world so long forgotten. It was with the greatest difficulty that I succeeded in doing so. Hamburg, the house on the Kongerstrasse, my dear cousin Gretchen, All that world which had before vanished like a shadow, floated before my now vivid imagination. There they were before me, but how unreal. Under the influence of a terrible hallucination, I saw all the incidents of our journey pass before me like the scenes of a panorama. The ship and its inmates, Iceland, Mr. Friedrichsen, and the great summit of Mount Sneffels. I said to myself that, in my position, I retained the most faith and shadowy outline of a hope. It would be a sure sign of approaching delirium. It were better to give way wholly to despair. In fact, did I but reason with calmness and philosophy? What human power was there in existence, able to take me back to the surface of the earth, and ready, too, to split asunder, to render in twain those huge and mighty vaults which stand above my head? Who could enable me to find my road? and regain my companions, insensate folly and madness, to entertain even a shadow of hope. Oh, uncle, was my despairing cry. This was the only word of reproach, which came to my lips, for I thoroughly understood, how deeply and sorrowfully, the worthy professor would regret my loss and how in his turn he would patiently seek for me. When I at last began to resign myself to the fact that no further aid was to be expected from man, and knowing that I was utterly powerless to do anything for my own salvation, I kneeled with earnest favour and asked assistance from heaven. The remembrance of my innocent childhood, the memory of my mother, known only in my infancy, came welling forth from my heart. I had recourse to prayer, and little as I had a right to be remembered by him who I had forgotten in the hour of prosperity, and whom I so tardily invoked. I prayed earnestly and sincerely. This renewal of my youthful faith brought about a much greater amount of calm and I was enabled to concentrate all my strength and intelligence on the terrible realities of my unprecedented situation. I had about me that which which I had at first wholly forgotten, three days' provisions. Moreover, my water bottle was quite full. Nevertheless, the one thing which it was impossible to do was to remain alone. Try to find my companions, I must, at any price. But which course should I take? Should I go upwards or again descend? Doubtless it was right to retrace my steps in an upwards direction. By doing this with care and coolness, I must reach the point where I had turned away from the rippling stream. I must find the fatal bifurcation or fork. Once at this spot... Once the river wrapped my feet, I could, at all events, regain the awful crater of Mount Sneffels. Why had I not thought of this before? This, at last, was a reasonable hope of safety. The most important thing, then, to be done was to discover the bed of Hansback. After a slight meal and a draught of water, I rose like a giant
1: refreshed. Leaning heavily on my pole, I began to ascend the gallery. The
0: slope was very rapid and rather difficult, but I advanced hopefully and carefully, like a man who at last is making his way out of the forest and knows there is only one road to follow. During one whole hour, nothing happened to check my progress. As I advanced, I tried to recollect the shape of the tunnel, to recall to my memory certain projections of rocks, to persuade myself that I had followed certain winding routes before, but no one particular sign could bring to my mind anything, and I was soon forced to allow that this gallery would never take me back to the point at which I had separated myself from my companions. I was absolutely without issue, a mere blind alley in the earth. The moment at length came when... Facing the solid rock, I knew my fate, and fell inanimate on the arid floor. To describe the horrible state of despair and fear into which I then fell would now be vain and impossible. My last hope, the courage which had sustained me, drooped before the sight of this pitiless granite. Lost in a vast labyrinth, the sinuosities of which spread in every direction, without guide, clue or compass, I knew it was a vain and useless task to attempt to flight. All that remained to me was to lie down and perish, to lie down and perish in the most cruel and horrible way. In my state of mind, the idea came into my head that one day, perhaps, when my fossil bones were found, their discovery so far below the level of the earth might give rise to solemn and interesting scientific discussions. I tried to cry aloud, but hoarse, hollow and inaccurate sounds alone could make themselves heard through my parched lips. I literally panted for breath. In the midst of all these horrible sources of anguish and despair, a new horror took possession of my soul. My lamp, by falling down, had got out of order. I had no means of repairing it. Its light was already becoming paler and paler and soon would expire. With a strange sense of resignation and despair, I watched the luminous current in the coil getting less and less. A procession of shadows moved flashing along the granite wall. I scarcely dared to lower my eyelids fearing to lose the last spark of this fugitive light. Every instant it had seemed to me that it was about to vanish and leave me forever in utter darkness. At last, one final trembling flame remained in the lamp. I followed it with all my power of vision. I gasped for breath. I concentrated upon it with all my power of soul, as upon the last scintillation of light I was ever destined to see. And then I would be lost forever in tenebrous shades. A wild and plaintive cry escaped my lips, on earth during the most profound and comparatively complete darkness. Light never allows a complete destruction and extinction of its power. Light is so diffuse, so subtle, that it permeates everywhere, and whatever little may remain, the retina of the eye will succeed in finding it. In this place, nothing. The absolute obscurity made me blind in every sense. My head was now wholly lost. I raised my arms, trying the effects of the feeling in getting against the cold stone wall. It was painful in the extreme. Madness must have taken possession of me. I knew not what I did. I began to run, to fly, rushing haphazardly in this inextricable labyrinth always going downwards, running wildly underneath the terrestrial crust, like an inhabitant of the subterranean furnaces, screaming, roaring, howling, until bruised by the pointed rocks, falling and picking myself up, all covered with blood seeking madly to drink the blood which dripped from my torn features, mad because this blood only trickled over my face, and watching always for this horrid wall, which always ever presented to me the fearful obstacle against which I could not dash my head. Where was I going? It was impossible to say. I was perfectly ignorant of the matter. Several hours passed in this way. After a long time, having utterly exhausted my strength, I fell a heavy inert mass along the side
1: of the tunnel and lost consciousness. Chapter 25 The Whispering Gallery when at last I
0: came back to a sense of life and being, my face was wet, but wet, as soon I knew, with tears. How long this state of insensibility lasted, it is quite impossible for me now to say. I had no means left to me of making an account of the time. Never since the creation of the world, Had such a solitude as mine existed, I was completely abandoned. After my fall, I lost much blood. I felt myself flooded with the life-giving liquid. My first sensation was perhaps a natural one. Why was I not dead? Because I was alive. There was something left to do. I tried to make up my mind to think no longer. As far as I was able, I drove away all ideas, and utterly overcome by pain and grief, I crouched against the granite wall. I just commenced to feel the fainting coming on again, and the sensation that this was the last struggle before complete annihilation when, on a sudden, a violent uproar reached my ears. It had some resemblance to the prolonged rumbling voice of thunder, and I clearly distinguished sonorous voices, lost
1: one after the other in the distant depths of the gulf. Whence came this noise? Naturally,
0: It was to be supposed from new phenomena which were taking place in the bosom of the solid mass of Mother Earth, the explosion of some gaseous vapours or the fall of some solid or granitic or other rock. Again I listened with deep attention. I was extremely anxious to hear if the strange and inexplicable sound was likely to be renewed. A whole quarter of an hour elapsed in painful expectation. Deep and solemn silence reigned in the tunnel. So still that I could hear the beating of my own heart. I waited waited with a strange kind of hopefulness. Suddenly, my ear, which leaned accidentally against the wall, appeared to catch, as it were, the faintest echo of a sound. I thought that I heard vague, incoherent and distant voices. I quivered all over with excitement and hope. It must be a hallucination, I cried. It cannot be, it's not true. But no, by listening more attentively, I really did convince myself that what I heard was truly the sound of human voices. To make any meaning out of the sound, however, was beyond my power. I was too weak even to hear distinctly. Still, it was a positive fact
1: that someone was speaking. Of that I was quite certain. There was a moment of fear. A
0: dread fell upon my soul that it might be my own words brought back
1: to me by distant echo. Perhaps without knowing it, I might have been crying aloud. I
0: resolutely closed my lips, and once more placed my ear to the huge granite wall. Yes, for certain, it was in truth the sound of human voices. I now, by the exercise of great determination, dragged myself along the sides of the cavern, Until I reached a point where I could hear more distinctly. But though I could detect the sound, I could only make out uncertain, strange, and incomprehensible words. They reached my ears as if they had been spoken in a
1: low tone, murmured, as it were, afar off. At last, I made out the word.
0: Forlored, repeated several times in a tone betokening great mental anguish and sorrow. What could this word mean, and who was speaking it? It must be either my uncle or the guide hands.
1: If, therefore, I could hear them, they must surely be able to hear me. Help! I cried at the top of my voice. Help, I'm dying.
0: I then listened with scarcely a breath.
1: I panted for the slightest sound in the darkness. A cry, a sigh, a question. But silence reigned supreme. No answer
0: came. In this way... Some minutes passed. A whole flood of ideas flashed through my mind. I began to fear that my voice, weakened by sickness and suffering, could not reach my companions who were in search of me. It must be they, I cried. Who else could by any possibility be buried hundreds of miles below the earth? the mere supposition was preposterous. I began, therefore, to listen again with the most breathless attention. As I moved my ears along the side of the place I was in, I found a mathematical point, as it were, where the voices appeared to attain their maximum intensity. The word forlorn against distinct reached my ears then came again that rolling noise like thunder which had awakened me out of torpor i begin to understand i said to myself after some little time devoted to reflection it is not through the solid mass that the sound reaches my ears the walls of my cavernous retreat are of solid granite, and the most fearful explosion would not make uproar enough to penetrate them. The sound must come along the gallery itself. The place I was in must possess some peculiar acoustic properties of its own. Again I listened, and this time, yes. This time, I heard my name distinctly pronounced, cast as it were into space. It was my uncle, the professor, who was speaking. He was in conversation with the guide, and the word which had so often reached my ears, forlorrid, was a Danish expression. Then I understood it all. In order to make myself heard, I too must speak, as it were, along the side of the gallery, which would carry the sound of my voice, just as the wire carries the electric fluid from point to point. But there was no time to lose, if my companions were only to remove a few feet from where they stood. The acoustic effect would be over. My whispering gallery would be destroyed. I again therefore crawled towards the wall and said as clearly
1: and distinctly as I could. Uncle Hardwig. I then awaited a reply.
0: Sound does not possess the property of travelling with such extreme rapidity. Besides, the density of the air at that depth from light and motion was very far from adding to the rapidity of circulation. Several seconds elapsed, which to my excited imagination appeared ages, and these words reached my eager ears and moved my wildly beating heart. Harry, my boy. Is that you? A short delay
1: between question and answer. Yes, yes. Where are you? Lost. And your lamp? Out. But the guiding stream is lost. Keep your courage, Harry. We will do our best. One moment, my uncle, I cried.
0: I have no longer strength to answer your questions.
1: But, for heaven's sake, do you continue to speak to me? Absolute silence, I felt, would be annihilation. Keep up your courage, said my uncle. As
0: you are so weak, do not speak. We have been searching for you in all directions, both by going upwards and downwards in the gallery. My dear boy, I had begun to give up hope all over, and you can never know what bitter tears of sorrow and regret I have shed. At last, supposing you to be still on the road beside the hands-back, we again descended, firing off guns as signals. Now, however, that we've found you, and that your voice reaches our ears, we may be a long time before we actually meet. We are conversing by means of some extraordinary acoustic arrangement. But do not despair, my dear boy. It is something gained even to hear each other. While he was speaking, my brain was at work reflecting. A certain undefined hope, vague and shapeless as yet, made my heart. Beat wildly. In the first place, it was absolutely necessary for me to know one thing. I once more, therefore, leaned my head
1: against the wall, which I almost touched with my lips, and again spoke, Uncle, my boy, was his answer after a few moments.
0: Is it of the utmost consequence that we should know how far we are asunder? That is not
1: difficult. You have a chronometer at hand, I asked. Certainly. Well, take it into your hand. Pronounce my name,
0: noting exactly the second at which you speak. I will reply as soon as I hear your words, and you will then note exactly the moment at which my reply reaches you. Very good, and the meantime between my question and your answer will be the time occupied by my voice in reaching you. That is exactly what
1: I mean, uncle, was my eager reply. Are you ready? Yes. Well, make ready. I am about to pronounce your name,
0: said the professor. I applied my ear close to the sides of the cavernous gallery, and as soon as the word Harry reached my ear, I turned round and, placing my lips to the wall, repeated the
1: sound. Forty seconds, said my uncle. There has elapsed forty seconds between the two words. The sound, therefore, takes twenty seconds to ascend. Now,
0: allowing a thousand and twenty feet for every second, we have twenty thousand four hundred feet. A league and a half and one-eighth. These words fell on my soul like a kind of death knell. A league and a half, I muttered in a low and despairing voice. I shall be got over my boy, cried my uncle in a cheery tone. Depend on
1: us. But do you know whether to ascend or descend? I asked faintly enough.
0: We have to descend, and I will tell you why. You have reached a vast open space, a kind of bare crossroad, from which galleries diverge in every direction. That in which you are now lying must necessarily bring you to this point, for it appears that all these mighty fissures, these fractures of the globe's interior, radiate from the vast cavern which we at this moment occupy. Rouse yourself then, have courage and continue your route, walk if you can, If not drag yourself along, slide if nothing else is possible. The slope must be rather rapid and you will find strong arms to receive you at the end of your journey. Make a start like a good fellow. These words served to rouse some kind of courage in my shrinking frame. Farewell for the present, good uncle. I'm about to take my departure. As soon as I start, our voices will cease to commingle.
1: Farewell, then, until we meet again. Adieu, Harry, until we say welcome.
0: Such were the last words which reached my anxious ears before I commenced my weary and almost hopeless journey. This wonderful and surprising conversation, which took place through the vast mass of the Earth's labyrinth, these words exchanged, the speakers being about five miles apart, ended with hopeful and pleasant expression. I breathed one more prayer to heaven. I sent up words of thanksgiving, believing in my inmost heart that he had led me to the only place where the voices of my friends could be heard. This apparently astounding acoustic mystery is easily explainable by simple natural laws. It arouse from the conductibility of the rock. There are many instances of this singular propagation of sound which are not perceptible in its less mediate positions. In the interior gallery of St. Paul's and amid the curious caverns in Sicily, these phenomena are observable. The most marvellous of them all is known as the Ear of Dionysius. These memories of the past, of my early reading and studies, came fresh to my thoughts. Moreover, I began to reason that if my uncle and I could communicate at so great a distance, no serious obstacle could exist between us. All I had to do was to follow the direction whence the sound had reached me, and logically putting it, I must reach him if my strength did not fail. I accordingly rose to my feet. I soon found, however, that I could not walk, that I must drag myself along. The slope, as I expected, was very rapid, but I allowed myself to slip, soon the rapidity of the descent began to assume frightful proportions, and menaced a fearful fall, I clutched at the sides, I grasped at projections of rocks, I threw myself backwards, all in vain, My weakness was so great I could do nothing to save myself. Suddenly, Earth failed me. I was first launched into a dark and gloomy void. I then struck against the projecting asperities of a vertical gallery, a perfect well. My head bounded against a pointed rock and I lost all knowledge of existence.
1: As far as I was concerned, this was the end for me.